Good to see everyone as we come together for this uh, hour of worship together. I'm a little disappointed we're here, though. I was counting on, you know, having this meeting this morning in eternity. I didn't start on my sermon the last night, you know. So. <clears throat> but anyway, we'll see what we do. It is good to be with you, and uh, once again, we have a lesson of how we're not smarter than God, and I guess that's what the bottom line is. Jesus said, no one knows except God, and while we think we can ever figure things out, other than be little children to just trust the goodness of Dad, is kind of the way that Jesus said we should be our Father. Okay, let's see. We've got a lot going on uh, in the near future. We've got next thing for children, I guess, is Bible school coming up, and so we call your attention to um, that activity as well as other activities for children uh, during the summer. There's going to be some uh, other information coming your way in the days to come for special events for children during the summertime, so we look forward to that. Uh, youth meet as usual. Penny and I went to a delightful play the other night at Bond Center that has a couple of children from our, well, a child from our church and a youth from our church, I'll put it that way, um, uh, in the program. Uh, Emma was wonderful as the, uh, is it the childlike princess? Huh? Empress. Ooh, ooh, Empress, pardon me. And, uh, and um, our own Alex Guest uh, was the, uh, chief bad guy. He was a werewolf and uh, I told him after the performance when he had all that makeup on and the fur all over his body that it was such a great improvement that uh, he looked so much better. So anyway, it's, it's just a wonderful thing that we have opportunities for children and youth like this. If you're not doing anything today, the last performance is at 2 o'clock and it is well worth your time. I assure you of that. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
Let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From then she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, This time we invite the children to come forward to join Harriet Johnson for a few moments of sharing. by a church every time I come, nearly every time I come into town from where I live. And out in front of this church was a sign, and I stopped and took a picture of it one day. Now there's a question there. Can, would somebody read the question out loud for me? How would God know that you love him? All right. And I, as I pass by the, every day, I would think, now, you know, that's a pretty good question. How would, how does God know that we love him? Do y'all have any ideas? Because we pray and we try to do the right things. All right. We pray and we try to do the right things. Is there any, you have any other ideas? Yes, ma'am. How do you know God? Because he loves us. Because he loves us and we're just going to love him back because he loves us. Well, I think that we think about that question maybe not often enough. And we have to remember that Jesus taught us how to please God. We must remember to read what? To know what Jesus wanted us to remember. Read, if we read the Bible, the verses in the Bible, the words of Jesus will tell us what we should be doing. Um, Reverend Arthur is going to read in a a little while from the book of John. And John told us a great deal about what Jesus told the disciples right before he went to heaven to live with his Father in heaven. Um, he was telling them he was leaving, and that made them uncomfortable because they were very dependent on Jesus, and, and they went everywhere with Jesus, and they wouldn't know what to do. And he was trying to reassure them that they were going to know what to do, and he was trying to comfort them. And so in comforting them, we now have his words to comfort us. And I've picked out some verses that um, 
that I think are important for us to remember. Um, I try to remember them, and I want to um, read my Bible. I, I have to admit, I don't read it as often as I should. And um, I'm hoping that maybe you can think about these verses too. This is from John 14. It's verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, let our hearts be troubled. What do you think that means? What would we say? Don't. It starts with a W, and we do it all the time. Don't worry. That's right, and I hope you don't worry. You're too young to, for that word just to pop in your head that quickly. But we shouldn't worry because why? He's with us, and we just have to remember that. And probably my family and my friends would tell you that I need to be practicing what I'm talking about this morning. There's another verse. This is verse 6. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way, that word, the way, what, we need to believe that Jesus is there to help us and God is there to help us. And then we, if we do, we know we'll join our Heavenly Father and join Jesus again in heaven. There's another verse at 21, and it says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. Whoever has my commands... What does, does that remind you of something that you've heard about in Sunday school? There were ten of them. and we, The ten commandments. And we, we learn those commandments and we say, okay, I can do those ten things, but we don't always do them all, do we? And we have to obey them, and if we obey them, Jesus will love us and God will love us. There's another verse, 34. This is in chapter 13. And we had those Ten Commandments, but Jesus says, I have a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, is that always easy? We can love somebody, but we might not always like what they do. But we have to learn to, to work through all of that. Love one another, and God will know that you love him. And the last one is this. This is from uh, John 13, and it's verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You ever heard that question, or you've seen a bracelet, what would Jesus do? It has WWJD on, a, on bracelets and on little signs. What would Jesus do? We remember that. We should get it right. We should behave like we need to behave, shouldn't we? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you. We thank you for sending your Son to show us how to please you. Help us to live as Jesus taught us. Amen. Thank you.
somebody at the early service this morning said when I walked in, well, we expected to see Arthur still here today. And then they said, but I sure will feel better about things if I see George straight. Well, I'm glad to see George <laughs> still with us. Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 60 is our first lesson of the day. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is uh, on page 734 of your hymnal. It's entitled The Canticle of Hope. And I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this passage together responsively. <clears throat> We shall see a new heaven and earth, for the old will pass away. We shall see a new Jerusalem, a holy city descending from heaven. The city, shall not, the city shall need no sun or moon, for God's glory will be its light. For God's land will be its land, and by its light the nations shall walk. We shall hear a loud voice from the throne. God shall wipe away all our tears, and there shall be no more death. Mourning, crying, and pain shall cease, for all mourning shall pass away. We shall hear one speak from the throne. Behold, I make all things new. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Our Lord testifies to these things. Behold, I the grace of the Lord Jesus is with us. Our epistle reading is 1 Peter 2, 2 through 10. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, 
now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the guidance that you give us in your written word, especially for the guidance that we should not be anxious as we face the uncertainty of the future, and it's always uncertain. We know that there may be a crisis that comes upon us as has happened in the past in our country, like the Dust Bowl or the Great Depression. But you have made us to be overcomers. You have made us to be victorious. You have given us dominion over this planet. And we are thankful for that, and we pray you'd help us be good stewards. But we also are grateful that we don't have to be afraid and even as we face the, the final chapter of our lives, we hear you tell us that we don't have to be afraid, that we can trust God and we can trust you. And you tell us that there is a special place that's like your father's house. And that just reminds us all of so many wonderful things as we think about the house that we grew up in place of love and care and for Jesus to say heaven is like that fills us with your hope and so we are grateful that somehow in the life death and resurrection of Jesus he has gone to prepare a place for us and so we give you thanks that a time will come when Jesus will come back for us to take us home that where he is, there we may be also. This is beyond any of, our no any of our ability to understand and our knowledge. And so it's a matter of our faith and trust. And we trust because the one who has been so good to us through all of life certainly will not fail us in death. And so we are thankful. Lord, we pray for people everywhere in our world, for we know that you want all people to come to the knowledge of your love for them as expressed in Jesus Christ. And in our day, we just don't seem to know exactly how to go about spreading that good news as effectively as we should in ways that don't cause people to be defensive or to be fighting with us. Help us through our loving ways and by our caring attitudes. So witness to the love of God that lives in us that people will be attracted and raise questions about the life that we live and the Savior that we follow. It is in his name that we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.
Let us now worship God by giving.
Those old hymns are fun still, aren't they? And that's been around a long time. Remind Arthur about fifth Sunday announcement. Oh, yes. Thank you, Ralph. Next Sunday is the fifth Sunday. And we're going to have only one service next week, and it is at 10 o'clock. And it will be over in the Family Life Center. The purpose, of course, of these uh, fifth Sunday gatherings is just to get us all back together uh, in one big congregation occasionally, because there's some folks that that want to know you and that you want to know, and it's just a good opportunity for us to do that on fifth Sundays. It makes it about four times a year. Uh, we're going to try to send several reminders of that this week. In fact, we plan to put a banner out here in the front of the church. I'm not sure it'll stay, but we're going to put one out there <clears throat> to remind you that uh, we are having one service on Sunday. We'll see how that goes. Here now the... Uh, gospel lesson for the day, John 14, 1 through 14. <clears throat> Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> it is my expectation that that passage is among those that you know best. For one thing, it is the standard gospel reading at all of our funerals in the United Methodist Church. You probably know that Jesus said these words just after Judas left to go betray Jesus and just before Jesus left to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray on his last night on earth. Being among the final words of Jesus, they have particularly, particular importance to us because they show us what Jesus was thinking and believing as he faced his own death. Even then, he was trying to comfort his friends. Amazing. He was assuring them that the events which were about to unfold were all 
part of God's plan for his life and that somehow by those events he would be making preparation for their eternal existence. I imagine that you know by now that the Bible in its original manuscript was not divided by chapter and verse as you and I have it now. That wasn't done until the Middle Ages when copies of the Bible became available through the printing press and people needed a way to be able to divide uh, chapters and verse up for study. So someone arbitrarily decided where to break up Jesus' lengthy last sermon that's recorded in John's Gospel. And really to understand the, the Gospel lesson that we read today, they should have begun the new chapter at what we call John chapter 13, verse 33. At least, maybe even before that. But if, if they had begun there, the passage would begin with Jesus saying, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, but where I am going, you cannot come. The disciples had always gone everywhere with Jesus. They couldn't believe their ears. In verse 36, Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus repeats his answer, where I'm going, you cannot follow right now, but you will follow later. To this response, Peter says, Lord, why can't I go with you now? I'm willing to die for you. This is where Jesus tells Peter that, no, he wasn't ready yet to die for Jesus. In fact, he would deny even knowing Jesus three times that night. This really upset Peter, and it upset the rest of the disciples. And so that is why Jesus had to say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust God and trust me. And then he tells them that he's headed home to God and that they know how to find him on the road home to God. But Thomas isn't so sure. Lord, if we don't know where you're going, how can we possibly find the right road? To this question, Jesus responds, I am the road, just as I'm also truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that last sentence has set off a firestorm of debate across many, many generations. And for better or for worse, I'm going to wade into that controversy in a few moments. But uh, first, let's look at some of the other things that Jesus says about himself and God in these last words. Jesus told the disciples that heaven could be thought of as God's dwelling place, God's house, and that that dwelling place is very large. There's plenty of space there. Room for lots of people, Jesus said. I know that there are groups who interpret the words of Revelation to mean that there will be a, a small number of people there, like 144,000. But to interpret that passage and that number literally is to miss the point of the good news that John of Patmos is trying to make. There were people in those days who were worried that there wouldn't be many of the Hebrew people to even make it into heaven. Ten of the tribes of Israel had been scattered and lost by that time. So the point of that revelation number was to say that God hadn't lost them even though they'd lost their identity. 
and that there would be a very large number from every tribe of Israel in heaven, an uncountable number, and that's the real meaning of that number, 144,000. Huge number of people there. In addition to these, John said that there would be a tremendous multitude of people in heaven who came from every tribe and nation on earth. It must be a big place because there's going to be a great multitude there. So, if you ever hear a preacher telling you that there won't be many people in heaven, he's probably trying to scare you real good so you'll repent. And some of you out there like Ralph might need that. And Arthur. But I would rather love you real good so that maybe you'll be able to hear God's tender invitation to you. Come home. Follow the road home. You see, God has a place just for you waiting in his big home. If Jesus was going to go to the Father without them, Philip wanted to at least get a glimpse of the Father. Just show us the Father, he said. That'll be plenty for us. Jesus' response to him is very interesting. Philip, after all my time with you, you still don't know who I am? How can you say, show us the Father, when you're looking right at me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. A five-year-old child was painting a picture. The teacher asked, what are you painting? The child answered, I'm painting a picture of God. The teacher replied, well, nobody knows what God looks like. The child replied, well, they will in a minute. Jesus' response to Philip is very much like that little child said. If you want to know what God looks like, look at me. Jesus' life was painting a portrait of God. If you want to know what God looks like, just look at Jesus. God was in Jesus and Jesus was so in God in such a way that they were indistinguishable and identical. Well, I may have left just enough time to look at the controversial statement of Jesus. I don't usually like to tackle controversial subjects from the pulpit because somebody might get angry. But I have also found that for everyone who gets a little mad, there's usually someone who feels a note of comfort. One of the wonderful things about the United Methodist Church is that we have agreed to agree on the big thing that Jesus is Lord. And then we are free to disagree on, disagree on lots of lesser things. And I challenge you to find any other church, any other denomination in our country that gives that degree of latitude and freedom as we find in the United Methodist Church. You are certainly free to disagree with me today, and some of you will. But I tackle this issue now because it's in the headlines again, much discussed in the world today. In some ways, the issue is actually hurting the cause of Christ in the world because there are people that won't give Jesus a serious consideration because they are already offended by us, and so they can't look at Jesus. At least we need to be aware of this so that we can package our faith as positively as we can. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. What did he mean? 
This has often been interpreted by Christians to mean that only Christians are going to heaven and that people of other religions will be excluded from heaven. But even more than that, it's often been used by one Christian group to say that another Christian group's not going to make it, that we're not going to make it as Methodists because we don't follow Jesus' ways strictly enough. You ever been told that? They say that Jesus is the way, but there are aspects of the way you've got to follow. You better be baptized just the right way, and that usually means dumped until you're half drowned. Uh, take communion often enough, and uh, be sure to go through confession and acts of penance. Some say you can't dance or play cards and still get to heaven. I'm glad that I can't dance, although my son's trying to teach me right now. Others say that following the way means that we climb our way up the ladder of our good works to heaven. And although you and I say we believe in salvation by faith in Christ alone, Jesus doesn't say anything about faith in that sentence. He just says, through me, not through believing in me. So you see, there are lots, there are lots of room. There is lots of room there for us to uh, talk about this and think about this. And I personally do not believe that the verse is being correctly interpreted if we use it to say that only Christians are going to heaven and that everybody else is just out of luck, going to be sent to hell. That idea is certainly offensive to the very people that we would like to win for Christ. And it also seems contrary to Jesus as we see him in the New Testament. Do you remember the time when a pagan Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant he said, you don't have to come to my house, Jesus. I'm a military man. I understand these things. Just issue the order and it'll be done. You remember what Jesus said? He said, I hadn't found anybody in Israel that had that kind of faith. Jesus bragged on the faith of a pagan. You know, Jesus was always kind to the lost. The people he was rather tough on were people that thought they had it made when it came to going to heaven. Jesus also told a parable about workers in a vineyard saying that no matter how many hours the people worked, whether it was one or twelve, they all got the same day's pay. When some folks complained about the unfairness of this, the owner said, it's my money. Can't I do with it as I please? Deciding who gets into heaven is God's decision to make. It's his big house, not mine. It isn't about fairness, it's all about mercy or I wouldn't have any hope at all. It's about God's right to do what God wants to do with what's his. Now I certainly do believe in the certain thing. I've never been one to risk a dollar on the stock market. I'll put it in the bank if it's FDIC covered, uh, guaranteed, and I'm that way about lots of things. And it's wonderful that we have a guarantee from Jesus that we we put our trust in him. We don't have to worry about eternity anymore. It's a sure thing. And that's wonderful. But beyond that, I think we best leave it up to God. I am certain of this. We're going to be surprised to find some people in heaven that we thought went the other way. There are going to be some people in heaven that we were hoping went the other way. And you know that's true. It's not exactly Christ-like, but I'm being honest. May God forgive us for wishing that our enemies would end up in hell, but we do. 
In a previous congregation that I was pastor of, I had a crusty old army sergeant who was always challenging our ideas. I wish you could have known Perry. I've got to tell you one Perry story, interrupt my sermon here. But Perry dated a girl for four days before he asked her to marry him. And she was scared to death to tell her father, just scared to death because daddy always ran off her boyfriends. Perry said, I'm not afraid, I'll take care of it. He took her home, he stood out in the yard and called her daddy down there and he says, you see those pine cones on the top of that tree? The man says, yeah. Perry pulled out his, Swiss, his pistol, fired off two shots, two pine cones hit the ground. He says, I'm gonna marry your daughter. You got any problem with that? <laughs> Perry had been a national security advisor in the Eisenhower administration. He made Ike mad all the time because he would just tell it like it is. And Ike several times said, Master Sergeant, I was a general, I'll have you know. I never will forget the time at our church Perry asked us, do you think God will ever send an insane person to hell? We said, no, we don't think so. A just and merciful God wouldn't send a crazy person to hell. And then Perry shocked us by saying, then get ready to meet Hitler in heaven because that man was insane. Well, we didn't like that idea, and you probably don't either. But Perry had a point. Only God can judge the heart because only God knows all the facts. So I don't think that Jesus intended his words to mean that only Christians will get to heaven. What did he mean? Well, if you're ever here for a funeral when John Rush reads this passage, you will hear him read from a paraphrase that says, no one comes to call God Father except through me. In other words, no one really comes to understand God through Jesus' eyes as a loving parent without the help of Jesus. Often people say to me that it appears that there's a lot of difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of Jesus. One of our church members over in Greenville said to me one time, said, you know, it just seems like in the Old Testament God was filled with wrath for everybody, but in the New Testament God had a son and mellowed out. What is it about that? The fact of the matter is that if the Old Testament had correctly understood God, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come in the first place and wouldn't have had to have said one word. The fact of the matter is people had not understood God correctly. And so Jesus came to set the record straight. No one can correctly understand God's fatherly nature unless they embrace an image of God similar to the one presented by Jesus. Another thing that Jesus might be telling us in this verse is that his work was important. That the cross was something that he saw as absolutely necessary for anyone to be saved. For the record of all sins committed against God to be canceled out, then Jesus said his death on the cross was a necessity. The atonement was necessary so that this verse would mean that no one can come to the Father without the atonement done for us in Christ's work. Now sometimes I wonder, and I'm about done, uh, just how far this atonement stretches. The Bible says that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Could it be that God's grace is more powerful, victorious, and more all-encompassing than any of us could have imagined? 
Many in the Eastern Orthodox branch of the church family, as well as famous Protestant thinkers like Karl Barth and William Barclay, believe that Jesus' blood was shed for everybody and that ultimately, therefore, all people will be saved by God's grace. And there's plenty of scriptures that they quote which back up that position. If there was anything clear to the early church, it was that God wanted that, that God desired the salvation of everyone. Peter says, God doesn't want even a single person to perish. They believed that Jesus had died for everybody in the whole world to reconcile all things to God. Certainly, God isn't trying to keep people out of heaven. In fact, we believe God is working hard as he can by his spirit to get everyone in that he can. God sent us the one who is the way so that we can find our way home. Then there are several very troublesome passages that I would love you to wrestle with and get back to me on. They're both in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4. One of them says that in the spirit, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And secondly, it says, for this reason, the gospel was preached even to those that are dead. This was Peter's answer to the question of where Jesus was between Friday of his death and Sunday of his resurrection. The early church believed that Jesus had descended to hell where he proclaimed the good news of the gospel to those people there. Why? If there was no chance for them to repent after death, why did Jesus go there to proclaim the good news? You see, there's just a lot that we don't know. But this we do know. God's love and grace for us is never ending. Heaven is God's dwelling place. And Jesus has been made an infallible way home for us uh, to get to the Father. Jesus is the road, the truth, and the life. And we know that there is coming a time in my life and in yours when Jesus will come back for us to take us so that we might be with him where he is forever in God's huge dwelling place. Amen. Amen.